today is Palm Sunday. So that's who we are as a body. Today is Palm Sunday. And uh, on Palm Sunday, if you're like me, you have no idea what Palm Sunday is. It's the day that, we didn't do it this morning, but usually they hand you a palm leaf and you're like, I hope there's no bugs on this. And maybe the kids come in and sing a song about whatever. And maybe if you're really Bible savvy, you know that this has something to do with Jesus riding into some sort of city on a donkey. Like, I just pictured him being really big on this little tiny donkey, like poor donkey. Like hopefully he like magically made himself lighter. But, um, and you have no idea what, other than, other than that, what Palm Sunday is. I want to, so by the time you leave today, you will know exactly what Palm Sunday is. And it's a shame because Palm Sunday is one of the, is a fulfillment of one of the greatest prophecies that we have in our Bible. It is the fulfillment of one of the greatest prophecies that we have in our Bible. And I'm going to be honest with you, in the American church, especially in a charismatic church like we are, that we believe in the gifts and all this sort of stuff, and we can be exuberant during worship. Sometimes we have a struggle pulling on the word. We have a hard time when the word is being preached and it's literally his body going out and like an invitation to know him deeper. We have a hard time grabbing on to that. And the reason is because it's exactly like when you were a little kid and you tried a new food for the first time and you didn't like it and you're like, I don't really want more of that. It's because you were not used to eating it. And a lot of the reason why the American church is not, doesn't really pull on the word in a message is because they're not eating it during the week. And that's not shame or condemnation. That's just a call up. Like, you're not eating it during the week. And so when it comes on a Sunday morning, you're like, I hope Sunny's doesn't get full. And like, you're just like waiting to get done. Amen? Oh, it must only be me and my, myself. Okay, sometimes. But no, like the Lord wants you to pull on this because this has the words of life in it. This is not just a cute book that we get to like talk about and preach from and, and, and yell at angry sinners or people from the left. Like this right here is life. This is life. You understand? And so today I want to awaken some hunger in you. I want to awaken some hunger. Have you ever been to a party um, and like a birthday party, New Year's Eve party or something and uh, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, well, I want to go talk to some people, you know, uh, and, and you walk up to a conversation and the, <laughs> the conversation people are having, you realize you, you walk up there, you're standing there and people are talking and you're like, oh, they're talking about something I have no idea about. <laughs> and it's like, not only have they been having this conversation for like minutes now, but it's also way above my head. Happens to me all the time. Okay. I'm going to use, I'm going to tell a story. I'm not going to tell maybe some of the names of, of who are in the story, but I walked up one time um, to somebody and they were talking about the stimulus checks and about how it's like, you know, it's helpful for some people, but in the long run, it's going to be damaging to the economy and all this sort of stuff. Well, <laughs> what's funny is me and another person who will remain nameless were just high-fiving, talking about what shoes we were going to get with our stimulus checks. And then we walk up and they're like, yeah, it's really going to be detrimental to the economy. We're like, yeah, it is <laughs> terrible. And it happens to me all the time. Because I have no idea about e economics. I just know, like, money in my bank account. All right. Like, I really need to get better about that. But, uh, I mean, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when you walk up to a conversation like that, it can leave you feeling a little bit lost. 
It can leave you feeling a little bit like I have no idea what's happening. And the content is way above my head, so I feel like I have nothing to add. And this morning, I actually want to bring you into a conversation that has been happening for thousands of years. And I think what's going to happen is actually the opposite. Instead of you feeling lost, you're going to feel at peace. You're going to feel at peace to know that you have actually entered into a discussion, a conversation, this choo-choo train, if you will, that has been heading down the tracks for thousands of years. You have been onboarded, but you don't feel lost. You're not going to feel lost. You're going to feel at peace. Because what happens is when the conversation is about you, it depends on you. I'll say it one last, one more time. When it's about you, it depends on you. And today, what I want to talk about, if I had like a title, which I don't usually have titles, it would be called, it's not about you. It's not about you. Because when it's about you, it depends on you. But if, it doesn't, if it's not about you, then it does not depend on you. So you can't do anything to derail the train, to make it stop. You're, even if you completely go against what God wants for your life, the train will reach its destination. All right, so, amen. Are you ready? Yeah. Palm Sunday. You're like, what is happening? Palm Sunday. We're going to be talking about a prophecy, and I want you to turn. Uh, we're going to be hopping around today. Turn to Daniel 2. I did not give the guys any of these scriptures. Well, if you got them, get them, get them. If not... It's okay. I have him here. We're going to start in Daniel. Daniel, if you don't remember, he is a prophet from the Old Testament, and he is a prophet in the time of what we call the exile. The exile where Israel and they were captured by Babylon, and now he is serving under King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel has a great habit of praying and reading scripture. And we're about to see Daniel in this prophecy, in this scripture. He's actually reading scripture. It's amazing to see people in the Bible reading the Bible. It's amazing. Okay. If Daniel needs to do it, then so do I. Okay. If Daniel can't skip a day, then neither can I. All right. So Daniel is reading the scriptures and we're in Daniel nine and Daniel is reading the scroll of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet from the previous generation. He was a prophet before Israel had gotten captured, okay? And he was serving under the king of that time, of the Israel king. And he, Jeremiah's, if you've ever read Jeremiah, it's pretty depressing, okay? Because he's constantly just saying, look, Israel, if you don't get together, you're going to get captured by Babylon. And we know the story. They don't get it together. And they get captured. Um, but Jeremiah has a prophecy that he wrote down, and, and Daniel finds himself reading that prophecy. Yes, I said nine. I'm sorry, we're in nine, verse two. So we're in Daniel chapter nine. All right, here we go. Are you ready? So are we all clear? Daniel reading Jeremiah. Daniel, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, hi, Daniel understood from the scriptures, according to the word, the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Judah, sorry, Jerusalem would last 70 years. Somebody say 70 years. 70 years. That was terrible. One more time. 70 years. 70 years. Much better. Good job, class. Um, okay. So what is it? What are you talking about here? Jeremiah prophesies that Babylon would come in and capture the people of God and that it would last for 70 years, okay? That their captivity would last for 70 years. Daniel reads this, and he says, huh, 
it's been longer. It's almost been 70 years. It's been 60 some odd years. And so what happens is Daniel reads prophecy and he believes it. There's two keys I want us to pull from this particular scripture right here. Is when he read prophecy, he believed it. When you read prophecy in this book, when you read the book of Revelation, you can believe it. Because Daniel did, and we're about to see that it's going to come true. The second thing that happened when he read prophecy is prophecy prompted him to pray. Prophecy prompted prayer. Prophecy, okay? It's alliteration. It helps you remember. All Ps. Prophecy prompted prayer. Um, my English degree is coming in handy. Okay, so the jokes don't get better than this. So you're going to have to laugh at something, or you're going to have a long sermon here. Um, so Daniel reads the prophecy. He believes it, and it prompts him to pray. The Lord spoke to me while I was studying this. He says, many people... The reason why a lot of you have had prophecies over your life and you're sitting 5, 10, 20, 30 years, prophecy not fulfilled, is because you, you got the prophecy and you said, all right, I'm ready. And the Lord says, no, Daniel prayed, so should you. Prophecy should always prompt you to pray. Okay, there's two types of prophecies. There's foretelling, which is like this will happen. And then there's foretelling where you get a view into what God wants for your life. Foretelling is definitely a, a, a thing where it is dependent upon your agreement. You hear this word a lot in this church. Maybe if you're new, we say, what are you agreeing with? It's a simple thing to say, like, do you believe him? Do you believe what he said about your life? Some of us have been waiting for a prophecy to be fulfilled for so long. It's because we've never actually even prayed, Lord, your will be done on earth. Daniel knew this was a foretelling, and yet he still prayed. It still prompted him to pray. Okay? Prophecy should always prompt prayer. What happens next is pretty interesting. So Daniel starts to pray. Okay? He's praying for the Lord to come deliver Jerusalem. And then he says... Um, he says this beautiful prayer. What happens next? Somebody shows up. Okay, this somebody is named Gabriel. Do you remember Gabriel? Who do we, where do we see Gabriel at? Well, Gabriel is the angel who appears to Mary and Joseph and talks to them about a, a baby boy who we all know as Jesus who's going to come and, and be born to them. So Gabriel shows up, and it, is, it, is, it does seem that Gabriel has a messianic uh, uh, um, a mandate on his life to, to talk about the Messiah. And we're about to get a, mess, a messianic prophecy, a prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus. Am I, are you all tracking with me? Yeah. All right. I know this can get this. This is going to there's There's some sermons you hear on a Sunday morning that are like so warm and comforting. And it's about a scripture that you've read in Hobby Lobby a thousand times. And it just feels like a warm blanket. And then there's other ones where it's like, I've never heard that scripture, and it may leave you feeling a little bit confused. That's this type of message, okay? I'm just going to be really upfront with you. But if we can awaken all of our brain cells this morning, and we can stay plugged in, this is going to be rich for you. At the end, like, you're going to walk away, I promise you, being like, wow, this is amazing, okay? Because the Lord has something for you for this day for Palm Sunday, so Gabriel shows up, and then he starts to speak to Daniel. He says, a period of 400, and we're in verse 24 now, sorry, a period of 490 years, you may see seven weeks, seven depending on your translation, all scholars agree that has to do with 490 years. 
490 years has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, and to bring an everlasting righteousness to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Now, there has some, there's, there's some things that Gabriel tells Daniel. It's going to be a, the, uh, a put an end to sin, atone for guilt, an everlasting righteousness, confirm the prophetic vision, most holy place. Basically, this utopia. Do you live in this utopia right now in, in, in your neighborhood? No, we don't, right? If you do, I, I'd love to move where you live. That'd be great. Um, so we know that this is definitely something in the future. This is definitely when the Lord comes back. But he's about to give him, because this, this prophecy is twofold. This is when the Lord's return, but he's about to give him a prophecy about Jesus' first coming, okay? So we're all tracking. That was 490 years. And then he says this. Now listen and understand. This is where we're really going to plug in today. 49 years plus 434 years. We're in verse 25 of chapter 9 here. 49 years plus 434 years will come to pass at the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with the streets and strong defenses despite perilous times. You're like, I don't know what I just read. Let me help you. What Gabriel is saying is this. He says, Daniel, there's going to come a time that a decree is given to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, its streets, its defenses, and it's going to be done in perilous times. He said, as soon as that decree is given, you can count 49 plus, what was it? 434 years. So that's 49 plus 434, I have it written down, is 483 years. After the decree is given, this like, stopwatch or this time clock in heaven will start ticking down 483 years. At the end of the 483 years, the Messiah will come. Ooh, it's getting good. And so what do we do now? Well, we have to figure out, because what starts that clock? The decree to rebuild the city, right? You, you all look like you're deer in the headlights. Okay, we, we're all tracking. This is good. Hold with me. Hold on. Maybe you feel like that little lizard that's holding on to your car as you drive down the street. Like, we're going to get there. Just grip with all your little claws you can, okay? We're going to get there. <laughs> I'm a child, okay? So, 483 years. We have to figure out when that, top, that time clock starts. And Gabriel gave us a clue. He said it's when the decree is given to rebuild the city, its streets, and its defenses and it will be done in times of trouble. Does anybody know when this, was, when this actually was fulfilled in history? It's in the time of Nehemiah. So if we look in Nehemiah, you don't have to go there, but this is important because th th this prophetic word has, some, uh, has some, um, some qualifications to it. There has to be a decree. It has to rebuild the city, the streets, the walls, and it's going to be done in perilous times. Okay, at that point, 483 years, the clock will start, that, and that, when that 483 years is over, the Messiah will come, okay? And so if we look, we know when this was happening, and it was in the time of Nehemiah. Now, in Nehemiah, 
Um, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna read really quick this really quick excerpt. And Nehemiah, I think it's chapter two, but it doesn't matter. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, say Nisan, that's gonna be important. Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king. Okay, and Nehemiah goes on to tell the story that he was serving the king. Maybe you know the story. And he goes and asks King Artaxerxes, say, hey, can I go back to my home city? Can I rebuild the city of Jerusalem? Can I rebuild the walls? Can I rebuild the stuff? And he gives them permission. The decree goes out. Nehemiah leaves with a group of people. They rebuild the city. You're like, what about the perilous times, Tyler? What about the perilous times? Well, um, when they were rebuilding the city, if you remember the story, they were attacked. Remember this? They were attacked, and they, it said they had to use a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. That's kind of, that's amazing. Okay. It's like, wow. I probably couldn't do that. Uh, so like, I mean, these guys were Jedis. Okay. It's amazing. And so they're rebuilding the city, but now we know. We know in history when the time of the countdown clock starts. Now we all got to know is what year it was. Well, because everybody took amazing records back in the day. We know what year this was in history. That's 444 BC. Come on, we're getting closer. You feel it? Okay, little lizard, hold on to the car. You're getting close. We're almost here, the payoff. All right, so 444 BC, you're like, this is easy. You just take 444 BC, you subtract 483 years, and whatever you give up, that's when the Messiah is going to come. It's not that easy, okay? Because if you've ever done any studying of like Jewish calendar and transitioning, it's a little weird because like our calendar and the Jewish calendar is not the same, okay? We have, they have like 360 days, we have 365, we have leap years, they have leap months, and just a bunch of other stuff. This became the obsession of a guy in the early 1800s. He was the head of Scotland Yard, he was a lawyer, and he, it became his life mission to decode this prophecy in Daniel. And so he gave years of his life and he finally figured it out. There was a, you know, a, a, was a lot of stuff to like unpack and study. His best estimation, and it has been challenged by people outside of the faith, but it has never been successfully debunked. It still holds true even to this day from the early 1800s. His best estimation, what year was, or sorry, what month of the year was that prophecy given for Nehemiah in the month of Nisan? Now, before Nisan was the name of a car, okay, I used to have a Nisan. <laughs> it was the name of a month. It still is. In that, that time of year, the month of Nisan was in the spring of the year. It was actually the month of Passover, the spring of Nisan. And so, if we take 444 B.C., 483 years, that's right. And 483 years, we land in the spring, the Nisan, the month of Passover, AD 33, where Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. This is, this, this is accepted by scholars all across the world. You don't hear about this because the enemy has squashed this prophetic knowledge that Jesus actually fulfilled this prophecy on the month that it was to be fulfilled. Remember, Gabriel said, once that countdown clock ends, 
483 years, the Messiah will come. He came. I figured I would get a bigger shout than that, bro. He came. Like that prophecy, I can you hundreds of years before Daniel in Babylonian captivity gets a prophetic word from an angel about Nehemiah, the temple being rebuilt, 444 BC, 483 years, and then it all culminates literally with Jesus riding in on a donkey, like to Jerusalem in the week of Passover. Like this should blow your mind. This is not about you, it's about him. This is a train that has been going from the beginning of creation, and he knows what he's doing. This, he's not playing chess with the devil. The devil is his pawn. Do you understand? Like He knows what he's doing. This train is not going to stop. He knows he can insert himself into time whenever he wants to. He can give prophetic words. And you're like, well, what if Daniel didn't do what he should have done? Does not matter? He can orchestrate however he wants. This is his plan. It's about him. Oh, I'm fired up. Like, it's about him. That's why when, so forever, from now on, when you see Palm Sunday, you need to think about him riding on the back of a donkey, fulfilling a 483-year-old prophetic word that was given to Daniel in Babylonian captivity about a man riding in when Jerusalem was under Roman occupation. Come on. Oh, fires me up. It's amazing. Palm Sunday is legit, okay? Palm Sunday is amazing. It may help you a little bit to uncover and unpack the scriptures now that you see why there's so much prophetic activity happening in Jesus' time. There's so much prophetic, because I mean, if you think this is just something that a couple white folk like figured out, like you're wrong. The, the, the Jewish people of that day, this was their life. The Messiah coming was their life. Like they knew when he was going to come. You think they didn't decode Daniel? They didn't have to translate it to the English calendar. It was their calendar. They knew when that prophetic word was going to end in the month of Nisan. They knew what year it was going to end. And so that's why, that's why King Herod sends out this decree to kill all the baby boys because he asks his people, he says, hey, when's that prophecy going to be fulfilled? The king, it's coming close. That's why wise men were coming into into see Jerusalem or into Israel because they knew that prophetic word given to Daniel hundreds of years ago by the God who split the Red Sea because they knew all across the Middle East who the real God was. You read that in the Bible and you actually see it in other, other manuscripts. They were looking for like it's happening. The countdown clock is ticking, ticking, ticking. He's coming. The king is coming. The Messiah is going to be here. That's why when John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, they say, hey, are you Elisha? Because they're looking for him. Everybody's like, it's going to be any day now. Imagine uh, Passover week for a Jewish person is like Super Bowl. Okay, this is like the big show. All right. And what would happen is many people all across uh, the Middle East would come in to Jerusalem. They would come to Jerusalem for like, you think about it like Mecca. They would just come to like the holy city to celebrate Passover with relatives, friends and families and stuff. And so the city would swell. There'd be like a huge amount of people there. Imagine being a Jewish person sitting down to table, like talking to your friends and family. You haven't seen them for a year. And they're like, have you heard? This is a man in Galilee. He heals people. I heard he raised somebody from the dead. He talks about a kingdom coming at hand. 
He, he defies the religious leader. He speaks with authority. Have you heard? He has a crowd of people, multitudes that follow him. I heard he multiplied bread and fish to feed thousands of people. Could you imagine? This is buzzing the city. It culminates with the man himself, Yeshua, riding on the back of a donkey. And the people lose their minds. They're thinking, finally, the man of our dreams, the man we've been waiting for, he is here. The Messiah has come. That's why they're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Like they're saying, like, you are here, Messiah. Hosanna is a very messianic term, which means save us now. Save us now, Hosanna. They're screaming. They're laying clothes down, palm branches down, so that he doesn't have to walk. This is a symbol in the Middle East about like royalty and, and people who were high up, that they would walk on people's clothes and palm branches because they are like fully convinced he is their savior. He ticks all the boxes. The problem is, is the same people, we know this, and this is probably the, the Palm Sunday message you've heard, the same people who were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, a week later would say, crucify him, crucify him. So we have to ask ourselves, what happens in the span of a week for those people to totally shift their hearts from Hosanna, save us now, to crucify him, you blasphemer. They made it about them. They made that prophecy about them. You've heard this before, that the Jewish people of that day, they were expecting a political ruler to come and to break off oppression and to like, you get that, you've heard that, right? Right? Yeah. So that's what they were wanting. They were wanting a political David. Remember David, who was a warrior? He like killed Goliath, did all the cool stuff. They wanted him. They wanted a Davidic person to come in break the oppression, reestablish Israel, join Israel and Judah. Like, it's going to be great. But Jesus comes in and they're like, it's time. That's why Jesus, through his entire ministry, is like, hey, hey, you'll you'll read this in your Bible. He'll say, hey, don't say anything to anybody. He'll heal somebody. Don't say something. Because he knows this is in the hearts of the people. And he knows that if it gets too out of hand, they will expect something and then they'll uprise and they, that many will, it's, it could be bad uprising revolt Romans don't really like that okay and so he comes in and they're expecting something from him they have this promise track with me here they have this promise from the Lord about them and him and they are expecting it to look a certain way they have put their own parameters if you will around that promise and what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, how it's going to affect them. And when the promise comes, they are like, they're crazy. It's amazing. How many times has the Lord given you a promise and you have been like, A to the men, like, come on, I'm ready for that prophetic word. I'll be honest, the Lord gave my wife and I something like that. I'm going to be really real with you because I don't want you to be real if I'm not real. When we moved here, we were like, wow, we were so excited, so excited. Like I'll do anything. I'll live anywhere. I'll do whatever. We had a, we had a a great job at a great church. 
um, uh, 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 somewhere else in Florida. The Lord told us to move here in faith. Like, couldn't, like it was definitely a financial leap of faith. And, but in that moment, we were like, yes, that's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. We felt the bubbliness. I was probably laying clothes down and palm branches down for the promise. Okay. Amen. Are you alive? <laughs> like, All right, cool. We were excited. And then we got here and it was amazing. God's doing all this sort of stuff. But over time, what I had realized is that, and my wife and I were dialoguing about this a, a couple of days ago that we had actually begun to put parameters around that promise. That we said, yeah, Lord, we're going to do this and we're going to sacrifice, but eventually it's going to look like this. Things are going to shift and you're going to do, do that. And then what happens when that doesn't happen? The people put parameters around what the Messiah is going to look like. One of the stories you've heard so often is Jesus in front of the temple. And somebody comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus. He's like, yo. Maybe he said that. Um, and he goes, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You better believe everybody perked up. Because remember, they're wanting him to overthrow Rome. And so they're like, oh, it's about to happen. Like Jesus is about to like come down on the Romans. He's going to be like, okay, pay taxes for now, but you just wait. Meet me in the alley after tonight. Okay, we're going to like do this thing or whatever. They're like expecting him to be like that, right? Because this is what this is the parameters they put around him. What happens though? Jesus says, hand me that coin. He says, whose face is on this? It's like Caesar's is. He says, I always picture he flicks it back to him. Such a G. <laughs> Big G. God. Okay. <laughs> he flicks it back to him. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And God's what is God's. You better believe that sucked the air out of the room. And people are like, I, you told me. You told me he was going to be Messiah. What is that? What is that? Like, he sounds like he's in cahoots with Caesar himself. The parameters that they put around the messianic promise were being shifted. What happens in your life, what, what happened to me, is I put parameters around a promise he gave me. And when it didn't fulfill the parameters that I wanted it to fulfill, when it didn't look, feel, taste, whatever, smell like I wanted it to be like, I have an opportunity at that moment to now say death to what you said, Jesus. Sometimes God's going to give you a promise in your life. And I promise you, the vast majority, anybody who's been following the Lord, you'll, you'll say amen to this. The vast majority of the time, it does not look like what you think it's going to look like. It doesn't. And in that moment of change, of transition, of uncomfortability, you have an opportunity to steward your heart, to like manage your heart. Are you going to get upset? Are you going to say, but this is about me? Or are you going to say, God, I've been put on this train. Your will be done. It may not look like I wanted it to look. Your will be done. I am going to follow you. I had that opportunity this past week. If I'm just being completely honest. Right, babe? We had the opportunity. We're like, okay, we're still living really a meager lifestyle. Like, and God, you're just not bringing forth the breakthrough like we thought you were. What are you going to do? It's crunch time. How are you going to manage your heart? 
It's not looking like I thought it was going to look. This promise doesn't feel like I thought it was going to feel like. What are you going to do? What the people of Jerusalem did is they chose to steward the heart poorly. And they actually began to say, crucify, crucify the thing that actually came to save us. Because the promise did not look like they thought it was going to look like. Luckily, even in that, God knows what he's doing. My wife and I, we have a, we have a, a podcast, um, and we were, we were going through this, some of the scriptures about being saved. And there's this moment where the, 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 um, the Pharisees are talking to Caesar, and they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he's like, hey, this guy is, this guy is innocent. He's innocent. And there's so many prophetic symbolism. Like it. But one of the things he said, he says, no, his blood be on us and our children. They didn't know what they were prophesying. That his blood would be on them and their children. So even though they didn't steward the promise well, that train that I was talking about, which is God fulfilling his word, culminating in a marriage of the supper of the lamb, it will not be derailed. Not even with the people of Jerusalem stewarding their hearts poorly. It's going to come to pass. But you have an opportunity to either be a part of his story or to be a part of your own. I'm going to be honest. His is way better than yours. His is way better than mine. And so today I want to do two things. I want to, number one, offer you a moment, a, a time for repentance if you have not stewarded your heart well. If you have said, Lord, you gave me this promise and it doesn't look like I want it to look. And now I'm starting to feel bitter. I'm starting to feel frustrated. I'm starting to think maybe I should never have moved here. Maybe I should never have uh, switched that job. Maybe I should never even marry this person. It's not looking like I wanted it to look. You have an opportunity. I'm not talking about my wife. <laughs> Rotabashi. No, you have an opportunity to steward your heart. And to say, it's not about me. It's not about me. And I think that process begins in repentance. It begins in repentance. What you're doing is you are actually putting yourself on the back of a donkey. You're putting yourself in the place of Yeshua Mashiach. Of the person who is going to like fulfill all that. You are not the fulfiller. Remember what we said at the beginning. It's not about you, so it's not up to you. Which means you don't get to make decisions like that. Like, it's about him. And the problem is we have been convinced that the decisions he wants to make for our lives are not things that we want. I promise you, he only wants good things for his children. The second thing is this. The second thing I want to invite you into is this. Is this world is crazy right now. Amen? This world is crazy. I don't have to preach a sermon about it because CNN does it every day. Like, I don't even need to convince you. This world is nuts. There's a lot of stuff happening right now. And I want to bring you into a peace that I have found. And maybe some of you, when you watch the news, you watch Facebook, you listen to your family, whatever, maybe you're just like, I don't know how this is going to get fixed. Or like, you have this internal anxiety Maybe it's even just about your own life, your own personal family problems, this internal anxiety. There is a peace that comes when you say, it's not about me. I have boarded this train 
and it will not come off track. No matter what's happening in the government, happening in the news, happening overseas, happening next door, his will will be done. There's going to be a moment. Listen to me. Believe what I say. There is going to be a moment where you walk down an aisle in heaven. And standing at the altar is a bridegroom with eyes of fire. The Bible says hair like wool, feet like brass, voice like waters. And you will be forever joined to a son of the king, grafted in to a holy family. And you will be placed in a holy city on a new earth to rule and reign. That is your destiny. So when you think about that, in light of, of political stuff or just financial stuff or your 401k not looking like you want it to, it's like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. And there's a peace that comes when you realize that you have entered into a conversation that has been going on a lot longer than you've been here and will continue to go on a lot longer after you leave. And the content is way above your head. There's a peace that comes when you say, I'm just happy to be here. Okay? Like, I'm just lucky to be here, right? Like, little lagoon made it in, okay? <laughs> Amen? Can you stand?